Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? All right, so I was in a restaurant the other night, and I was looking at the menu, and for some reason I started thinking about all the names that were on the cocktail list there. I was, I was kind of bored, to be honest with you, so I started <laughs> thinking about these things. And uh-huh. I saw Irish coffee on the list, and then I was even more bored, so I started to wonder a little bit more about this, and I was trying to think through, like, whether that's offensive. You know, uh-huh. like, you pour a little whiskey into a hot coffee, and then suddenly it's Irish for some reason? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like cocktail names are so weird, right? Like, white Russians have nothing to do with Russia, or Mikhail Baryshnikov, right, or— <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, they do have vodka in them, I guess. And it's the same with black Russians. Like, that was invented in Belgium, apparently. So the weird thing is, is that Gabe was looking into this, and the name Irish Whiskey was actually a point of pride for the man who coined it. Huh. So the guy's name was Joe Sheridan, and he was the chef at an airport restaurant in the Port of Foynes over in Ireland. So that, that's kind of funny. It was invented in an airport. But <laughs> what's the story there? All right, well, this goes back to 1943, and I guess at the time there was this extremely rough winter storm going on. So planes are getting grounded, and, you know, passengers are stuck inside there. So Joe basically takes pity on the exhausted passengers, and he offers them this mix of hot coffee and Irish whiskey kind of as a way to help them warm up. Mm -hmm. And so one American passenger inquires about this, and he asks, you know, have we just been served Brazilian coffee? Well, Joe shakes his head, of course, and he said, no, sir, that's Irish coffee you're drinking. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, you're glad I spared you the Irish accent there. (laughs) All right, so a few weeks later, Chef Joe just convinced the restaurant owner there to add his Irish coffee to the menu And passengers there in Foynes and beyond have been enjoying it ever since. So that's just the first of nine facts about cocktails that we'll dig into today. Let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikater. And sitting behind the soundproof booth, 
trying to mix himself a a pousse cafe. A yeah, it's exactly what it is. <laughs> you know, the, these are these uh, gorgeous drinks because they look kind of like a rainbow in a glass. It's like super alcoholic and they're layered, but each sip is a little bit different. And the trick is to make sure it all sips good. I think that's what Tristan was trying to do, but it, it kind of came out tan, so he just <laughs> poured it out and made himself a Zima with a little red Skittle at the bottom, but I think Which that's is... a less savvy cocktail, to be honest with you. <laughs> Which is amazing that Tristan found a bottle of Zima. No I don't kidding. think they make that anymore. No, they definitely don't. I am excited to talk about cocktails because the first one is something I've had questions about forever, and that's a Tom Collins. So the question everyone asks is, who exactly was Tom Collins? Yep. And you and I are not the first person to wonder about this. In fact, in 19th century New York, asking folks if they knew Tom Collins was some people's favorite pastime. So the way it worked was that a stranger would come up to you in the street or whatever, and they'd tell you that like 20 minutes earlier, they saw Tom Collins trash talking you. And, and they say this to like anyone who'd listen, right? <laughs> he was like talking about your clothes, your weak work ethic, <laughs> the fact that you can't go left on a basketball court, whatever. That's no, true. And <laughs> so you get all confused and flustered because you don't really know anyone named Tom Collins. And who is this guy to slander you, right? Right, right. So you ask the stranger where he saw Tom Collins last, and he directs you towards the local pub. Ah, I see. Right. So it's like this genius marketing trick. So a few minutes later, you storm into the bar, demand to see Tom Collins, at which point the bartender nods, silently fixes you a drink, and he hands you a Tom Collins, which <laughs> I guess is old Tom gin, lemon juice, and sugar topped off with carbonated water. And the whole thing is, right, you get to meet Tom Collins. So it's like a cute little trick, and it's a nice story. And according to Saucy.com, which is a beverages site, the Tom Collins was a product of a 19th century prank for people with way too much time on their hands. And, of course, the bartender was actually in on the joke. Some people have suggested that the entire hoax was concocted by bar owners as a way to sell more drinks and Mm. that the strangers on the street were actually on the bar's payrolls. But... Either way, what we got in the end was this tasty summery drink, which is way better than any bar fight. That's pretty cool. I'd actually wondered that one as well. All right, well, another name I'd been thinking about recently is the Screwdriver, which is a very simple cocktail. It's just one part vodka and one part orange juice, of course. Yeah, I mean, isn't it funny that something that simple has a name instead of just like vodka with orange? (laughs) (laughs) And the fact that a Greyhound is vodka with grapefruit juice too, but supposedly that got its name from being served at the restaurant attached at a Greyhound bus station, I guess. That's super weird. I I feel like I've never heard Paul Simon sing about that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's a little bit of questioning, you know, the veracity of all of these, but the screwdriver has a better story than this. So obviously, Americans like their vodka, and in fact, it's actually the best-selling liquor in the country, huh. accounting for something like a third of all liquor sold last year and more than $6 billion in sales. Wow. And of course, making screwdrivers, as we said, is super simple, but if you want to stay true to the drink's roots, then you actually want to use a real screwdriver. And that's because the drink is said to have been invented by American oil workers who were stationed in the Persian Gulf, and this was back in the 40s. That's funny. You know, I've obviously had that drink, but mm-hmm. I never think it's that old. Yeah, so the workers decided to make the workday a little bit more interesting by secretly adding vodka to their morning OJ. And because they didn't have any spoons handy, they stirred the drink with their screwdrivers instead. And before long, the men started referring to the drink as a screwdriver. Now, 
you know, partially because it was just a fun way to talk about drinking around your bosses. Like, you know, this job sure would be a little easier with a screwdriver. <laughs> well, I mean, having murky origin stories is kind of like a running theme with famous cocktails. And the Long Island iced tea is no exception. So a lot of people say the drink was first mixed during Prohibition as a way to disguise a drink as plain tea. Mm -hmm. And others say the drink was created in the 1970s in this contest sponsored by Triple Sec. So I've actually seen a video of the guy nicknamed Rosebud, who supposedly invented it in the 70s. And he's just throwing this like equal parts of vodka, gin, rum, tequila, and triple sec into a blender and a little bit of cola. And it's not like this super neat mixology video because he makes kind of a mess with the blender and everything. But, you know, apparently he dubbed it a Long Island iced tea because of where his bar was located. But What's incredible to me, and this is all Gabe doing the research here, is that New York isn't the only Long Island to lay claim to this drink. Tennessee also has a Long Island of its own, and it's right in the middle of the Holston River near the town of Kingsport. So according to the town, Long Island Iced Tea was actually the creation of this local bootlegger there. His name was Charlie Oldman Bishop. And Old Man Bishop one day supposedly got a little creative. He took vodka, gin, whiskey, tequila, and mixed them together with maple syrup. And then in the 1940s, his son Ransom perfected the recipe by adding a little bit of citrus juice and, and a little cola to the mix. And as you can imagine, the two Long Islands are at odds over who came up with this disgusting drink first. <laughs> I mean, they even compete in this thing called Battle for the Tea, where they blindfolded bar patrons and gave them each of the region's teas, and everyone voted for their favorite. But unfortunately, they made it a best-of-two match. So like, <laughs> both Long Islands have actually won one round each, and there's no third-round schedule. Sounds like they'd had a few of them before they came up with that idea <laughs> for a best-of-two. I also feel like we should grab a few folks from the Saver team and have a little office test and kind of choose for ourselves. But yeah. All right, well, speaking of murky origins, why don't we talk about the Cosmopolitan, which claims two stories of its own, actually. None of which, I'm guessing, have to do with Sex in the City. Well, here's the weird thing is that one of them actually does. So one option is that the drink got its start in the mid-1980s at a bar in Miami's South Beach. So according to legend, a woman named Cheryl Cook invented it. And it was supposed to be like a more feminine take on the martini because she'd noticed that many women seemed to enjoy the shape of the classic martini glass more than the taste of the actual drink that it came with. Hmm. So here's where the Sex and the City connection comes in. Cook claims that the show's mother-daughter costume design team had been customers at her bar for like 15 years before the show started. Huh. So the inclusion of the Cosmo on the show might have actually been a fun nod to Cook. Oh, that's interesting. And and the show actually did revitalize the cocktail from from what I know. I mean, kind of the same way as Sideways got people to stop drinking Merlot. Yeah, or the way, you know, everybody started drinking White Russians right after the Big Lebowski. Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's, there's actually another great story that could also be the starting point for the Cosmopolitan as well. So according to an African-American bartender named Neil Murray, he invented the drink back in 1975. And this was as a way of asserting himself at the bar that was under racist management at the time. Now, the story goes that Murray had interviewed to be a bartender at the Cork and Cleaver Bar in Minneapolis earlier that year. But despite having a pretty good interview, he was actually later told by a friend that the managers passed on him simply because he was black. Still, the staff was on Murray's side. So when management went away for the weekend, the staff slip trained him over the course of three days and put him on the payroll. Then the managers agreed to try him out once they returned. But here's the backstory to the drink. So one night, not too long after, Murray was mixing up a popular cocktail called the Kamikaze mm -hmm. when he decided to add a splash of cranberry juice to the mix. Now, the customer loved the extra fruity punch and asked Murray what had inspired him to add it. And Murray just said, 
It just felt like it needed a little color. So the customer responds that it looks very cosmopolitan, and that's how the drink actually got its name. Hmm. But the funniest part is that Murray says he started ordering the drink in every town he passed through after that. So he would go to a bar and order a cosmopolitan, and when they'd asked him to remind him what it was, Murray would tell them that it was a kamikaze with cranberry juice. So bartenders suggested the drink to customers, and the drink gradually spread from coast to coast. Have you ever heard that on This American Life where Sarah Koenig is talking about her dad, who's this legendary ad man? He wrote uh, the old Volkswagen Think Small ad and the Lemon ads, and he's, you know, kind of known as a genius. But he also makes these outrageous claims. Like, one of the things he claims is that no one used to eat shrimp in New York before he came to town. (laughs) And he just kept asking people for pull and peel shrimp, eating it on docks and stuff, and suddenly, like, the whole town was into it. Right. He also claimed he invented thumb wrestling. No way. I would be so starstruck. (laughs) But who knows? Maybe he did. But speaking of crazy ideas that took off, I'm going to talk about a non-alcoholic cocktail, and that's the Arnold Palmer. I feel like we've talked about this one before, haven't we? That's right. But, you know, as you'd imagine, legendary golfer Arnold Palmer was not the first to combine iced tea with lemonade, but he was the first to popularize the drink. You know, this is something that I order from time to time, but I always get a little nervous before I say it. And my kids actually made fun of me because I have a hard time saying, without really slowing down, saying Arnold Palmer. (laughs) So they like to wait for me to say an Arnold Palmer. So... (laughs) But I I do love that old ESPN commercial where they're in this cafeteria and these two sportscasters are there just watching as Arnold Palmer goes up to the dispenser and he fills his glass half with lemonade, then half with iced tea. Mm -hmm. And then he walks away and they go, that was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who can't say Arnold Palmer. So maybe maybe we should just call it an Arnie Palmy. I I like that. I like it. Well, the name of the drink goes back to the late 60s. And and this is when this woman happened to overhear Palmer ordering his favorite drink at a bar in Palm Mm -hmm. Springs. And she apparently was starstruck, right? She was a huge fan. So she immediately ordered one of the same and simply referred to it as that Palmer drink. (laughs) Another way you and I can refer to it. And (laughs) that's how it kind of took off. But a more official connection was made years later when Palmer licensed both his name and image to branded versions of the drinks. But, you know, in the early days, it was just his fans requesting the drink. And and that's sort of how it spread. But here's what's funny. If you want to mix up your own Arnold Palmer at home, you'll actually have to decide which ratio to use. Normally, the drink is served 50-50, also known as a half-and-half, half, to non-Palmer fans. Palmer actually preferred a 75% tea to 25% lemonade mix. But his wife was this total sweet tooth, and so she'd use sweet tea and lemonade. Mm-hmm. And uh, her version is called a Win Palmer uh, <laughs> after the namesake. And, you know, just because I have to say this— Arnold Palmer's dentist used to be in Delaware for some reason. He used to come to Delaware to get his teeth done. So I just feel like that's a fact every Delawarean should know. I don't know why you know that, but uh, (laughs) anyway, we've got a few more cocktail origins to get to. But first, let's take a quick break. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius, where we're talking drink origins. Now, I'm going to stick with your mocktail theme and talk about the grandmother of all mocktails, which is, of course, the Shirley Temple. So as you might imagine, this mixture of ginger ale, grenadine, and a maraschino on top was reportedly served to the child actress Shirley Temple starting in the late 1930s. And in true cocktail fashion, there is some disagreement on where and when the drink originated. There was this Beverly Hills restaurant called Chasen's that claims to have invented the drink on Temple's 10th birthday so she'd have something special to sip on when she dined with her parents. And, you know, while the Brown Derby restaurant claims to be the true home of the drink. Also, the Royal Hawaiian Hotel in Waikiki claims that they were the first to mix it for her. But the funny part is that while all these places claim they invented it for her, Shirley Temple actually wasn't a fan of the drink. She reportedly found it to be much too sweet for her taste. Which is amazing. It feels like such an insult coming from a child. Yeah. I mean, apparently <laughs> the only thing she found more distasteful was when companies tried to market a bottled cherry soda called the Shirley Temple in the 1980s. Uh-huh. She responded by filing multiple civil lawsuits claiming her name was not a generic term and that the use of it was an invasion of her privacy. And the companies actually eventually backed down. That's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I do know she was super smart, right? Like she was supposedly like this ambassador or diplomat. Yeah, that's true. And I, I believe it was to Czechoslovakia. But since I did a Shirley Temple fact, I, I think I should tackle its sibling cocktail while I'm at it. And that's the Roy Rogers. So one of my favorite scenes on 30 Rock is when Alec Baldwin's at this bar and he orders this really frou-frou drink. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's like a white rum with diet ginger ale and a splash of lime or something. And the bartender says, sir, here's your Nancy Drew. And Alec Baldwin is just so offended. And he says, <laughs> For men, it's called a hardy boy. <laughs> I, <remember that laughs> I don't know why that line is so funny to me. Yeah. But the idea that we need like a Coke version of the Shirley Temple to appeal to boys is just so dumb. Yeah, you're right. It's pretty <laughs> ridiculous. And and sometimes the Shirley Temple with cola substituted in for ginger ale is also called a Shirley Temple Black, which also happened to be Shirley's married name. But the reason the mocktail is interesting is that it's also named for Roy Rogers, you know, the cowboy actor who later owned his own fast food place. Mm-hmm. But Apparently, Rogers was a teetotaler, and I always thought that it was given the cowboy name Roy Rogers just to appeal to boys, 
But supposedly he actually had the drink mixed up for him on set when he was shooting Westerns on TV. And this was, of course, back in the 1940s. So it's been around for a while. That's interesting that he actually liked the drink where Shirley Temple hated it. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm going to cap this with a proper cocktail fact. And this one's about the Mai Tai. So Gabe has been trying to get us to do a show on tiki culture for a while now. And we'll definitely get to it, Gabe. Don't worry. Back off. But this story comes from him. So most people associate the Mai Tai with Hawaii, likely because of the name, which means good or nice in Tahitian. But the drink was actually the creation of this Oakland bartender named Victor Bergeron. He's also known as Trader Vic, you might know. Mm -hmm. And this was back in 1944. And a few years later, Vic was hired to create a cocktail menu for a Hawaiian cruise line and also the sister hotel, the Royal Hawaiian. So he put it on the menu, but he really wasn't confident about it. So he kind of stuck the Mai Tai near the bottom of the list. And, of course, it became this immediate hit, partially because people assumed it was a Hawaiian drink and they just wanted to blend in with the locals. But the downside to the success is that Vic felt the need to protect his recipes from the public, which made it difficult for other bartenders to recreate the drink. And as a result, there are all these different versions of the drink on the market now. So, like, some use way too much pineapple juice or grenadine and they're, like, sickly sweet. Some aren't sweet but just taste disgusting. And this is all why the Mai Tai is sometimes called the most abused cocktail in the world. (laughs) But if you're looking for a true Mai Tai, it should include just a handful of ingredients. Rum, orange liqueur, almond syrup, simple syrup, and freshly squeezed lime juice, and it's topped with fresh mint. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like the fact that things are getting even more wild out there. I think Tristan pulled out, is that his third Zima of the day? (laughs) He got his (laughs) four-pack. Yeah. You know, I feel like we've covered a lot today that drinks shouldn't be gendered, that, you know, drinking on the job was a thing that happened with screwdrivers, Sex in the City, Arnold Palmer's Dentist. But I do feel like the fact I liked the most was the one about Tom Collins talking trash about you last night in a bar. That was pretty good. <laughs> I agree. And I will not stand for it. So let's take <laughs> Tristan and go find Tom and set him straight. But, uh, you know, uh, Gabe actually texted me right before this and he said, I'm going to read from the email. If you get a chance, toss out a mention of the Jersey Turnpike, a notorious lost-a-bet cocktail where the server flips the bar mat, collects the liquid runoff, and then completes the drink by wringing a used bar rag straight into a glass. (laughs) Which is so gross. Wow. You know, I do want to thank you for the trophy this week. And to all of you out there, thank you so much for sending facts. It really makes our day. You know, we got this Twitter fact from Robert Vogel, who, after our Raccoons episode, told us about the Madison, Alabama new baseball team they've got. It's a double-A team called the Rocket City Trash Pandas. Trash Pandas. I love this name. So my son and I have already agreed that they're our new favorite double-A team. (laughs) And keep those facts coming. But from all of us here at Part-Time Genius... Gabe, Tristan, Will, and me, thank you so much for listening. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. 
or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are moving in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.